I'm Jeff Smith, and welcome to The Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success and my aim is to share them here with you. Of course, success is not always measured in money and in these programs I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going when times were tough. And I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can implement the secrets of success into your own life. In today's episode, I'm talking with Dave Albin. Dave is the number one firewalk instructor in the United States of America and probably the world. Firewalking is a 1,000-year-old rite of passage ritual where you literally walk across hot, burning coals. Dave worked with Tony Robbins for 20 years running his firewalk events, and he and Tony set a world record in London 2005 with more than 12,300 people walking barefoot across the burning coals. After 20 years... In 2014, Dave started his own business called Firewalk Productions. And during his time, he's firewalked literally hundreds of thousands of people. However, his success has a very dark, very scary and very violent past. On June the 8th, 1988, he put a gun to his head to stop the excruciating pain from both drug and alcohol addiction. And now, here we are, today is June the 8th, 2023, which marks 35 years of his sobriety. And I'm honoured that he's chosen to be on this show today. I'm sure it'll be incredibly emotional. So today we'll find, about, find out about his extraordinary life, his time working with Tony Robbins and understanding what it takes for successful people to become successful. So let's bring in the amazing man himself. Welcome to the show, Dave Albion. Morning, Jeff. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Dave. Great. How you doing? It's great to be here, man. Yeah. Ah, really wonderful, awesome. wonderful to see you. And... <clears throat> You're looking amazing. How are you feeling today? I'm pretty emotional. Honestly. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> yeah, it's a very emotional time for me. Um, you know, it was about this time, Jeff, um, 35 years ago, where I was literally struggling with putting a pistol in my mouth and ending it that way, simply because, you know, I just wanted the pain to stop. There was so much emotional and physical and spiritual pain. And you know, sometimes you just don't know any other way to deal with it. And you think, okay, well, I'll just put a bullet in my head and it'll stop. Okay, and, um, Dave, you're yeah. incredibly emotional. You have tears in your eyes. I can, it's yeah. choking in your throat. Just take a moment, man. I mean, I want to find out about your amazing life, your trials and tribulations. But before we do that, 
I want to take you back in time. So let's go back to childhood, Dave. Where were you born? What was life like for you as a child? And what were your dreams and aspirations as you were growing up? Well, I was born at, in Hollywood at Queen of Angels Hospital. I was born to a single mom. Um, and um, at my birth, uh, well, actually, let me back up. Two months before I was born, Jeff, uh, my, my biological father, uh, who was a pilot in Korea, had somehow hurt his head. We don't know exactly what happened. Um, but they, to save his life, they put a plate in his head. And unfortunately, it also took his life um, because the plate apparently caused a lot of pain. And he, he told my mom on more than one occasion that he didn't know how much longer he could, he could deal with the pain. And so two months before I was born, he turned to my mom and said, I'm going to the grocery store. And we never heard another word from him from that date on. So we don't know exactly what happened, but according to what my mom thinks and feels, she said that he probably took his life because, again, of the pain in his head. So uh, at my birth, uh, my mom, my biological mom, who I affectionately uh, uh, call Rosie the Riveter, because during World War II, uh, she built airplanes. She worked for McDonnell Douglas. And so it was just something that I was really proud of from that standpoint about my mom. She was, when I was born, she was working at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood as a server. She had two other boys from a different man. And we were all living in a one bedroom apartment. My grandmother, my mother, my two stepbrothers and my cousin. And I'm a newborn living in this one bedroom apartment across the street from Hollywood High School. Uh, by the time I was five years old, my mom tried her best to, to take care of us all, and she couldn't do it. And so she committed what I believe to be one of the most loving acts any mother can do, and she gave me up for adoption. And her sister, um, Pat Albin and Bob Albin, adopted me. And so I moved from Hollywood to Long Beach, California. And um, it was wonderful. Um, you know, I have really incredible, fond uh, memories of my early childhood from five uh, to around age 11. Um, lots of camping, lots of fun, you know, just really a great uh, Long Beach, California. I mean, you know, it's a beautiful place. It was wonderful. Well, on the first day of summer in 1964, <clears throat> my mom, well, my mom, right, I'm going to call her mom because even though she's my adoptive mother, she, for the most part, part raised me. So, so Pat came into the TV room and said, David, come into the kitchen. Your father and I need to speak with you. And when I went into the kitchen, I sat down. I could tell something was up. Um, and she put her hand on top of my hand and with tears in her eyes, she said, David, we need to tell you something. And that is, we are not your parents. Well, you know, at 11 years old, you, you, how do you process that? You just, you really don't. And she went on to say, and, you know, we're your aunt and uncle and your mother who gave birth to you is your aunt Dean. And I remember thinking, Jeff, I'm like, I don't even like her. Um, <laughs> right. Did, 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 how, how well did you know aunt D, your biological mother at this point? Well, you know, I mean, I saw her a lot. She came over a lot. She was always touching me. And now I know why, right? Yeah, because yeah, I was her yeah. son. <clears throat> and I, and I want to make sure I'm clarified. She'd never touched me in an inappropriate way. She just liked to sit down next to me and put her arms around me and hug me and kiss me. And so, you know, but back then I didn't know. Mm -hmm. You know, then I found out later, then it all made sense to me. Sure. Um, 
And so, you know, from, from that moment on, um, everything changed in my life. Now, when they adopted me at five, they both drank and they both stopped as soon as I came into the household. Um, but shortly after, you know, they told me that, uh, you know, I was adopted, um, and I'll back up and give a little more information. You know, we had just come out of 1963, November, which is when Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, my dad was a military officer, highly decorated in World War II. Uh, he worked in the Pentagon. So he had, he had a lot of knowledge of what was going on behind the scenes with the Bay of Pigs and that whole conflict that was going on. So I think it was a combination of that, that stress, and then them telling me that they weren't my parents they both started drinking shortly after they told me that on the first day of summer in 1964. And that's when my, my life took a hard turn. Um, you know, back in those days, you could leave your kids home alone, believe it or not. All you would do is call the neighbor across the street. And like my mom would call and say, hey, Joanne, uh, Bob and I are going to the grocery store. David's going to be home. If he needs anything, can, are you guys going to be home? Can he come knock on your door if he needs something? And of course, Joanne's like, yeah, of course, you know. And all the kids around the neighborhood did that. The parents did that. So when they left that day, I, I went right to where the booze was because I watched these two amazing people turn into, you know, the, when they started drinking, they, their whole personalities changed. It got ugly real fast. And so I'm like, what is this? What's going on? And so out of curiosity, I went and opened the cabinet. I pulled out this big bottle and it was brandy. And, and I, took a, I took a coffee cup and I filled it up about halfway wow. and I downed it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> right? I don't I know mean, about fire walking. That would be, <laughs> that, that would burn on the way, right? Oh my God, it tasted horrible. But, you know, I don't believe I ever had a chance. I was an alcoholic right on the spot, Jeff. Seriously. I mean, it was like, my, my, it was like pouring rocket fuel into my body. It was like, every, it was like, you got to be kidding me. I, and from that very moment at 11 years old, drinking brandy, I started thinking about, you know, I want to drink again because of how it made me feel. Right. Let, let um, me just rewind a moment, Dave. Sure, sure. You just said, I drank this and I must have been an alcoholic. So, um, I, in retrospect, you're saying that. You didn't think that's at 11 years old, of course. Of course. So, right. what is it now, or, or how are you identifying yourself then as alcoholic? Um, well, because, you know, the, the patterns that I started to run uh, were, you know, get more of it, find it, steal it. What do you got to do? Um, and that, you know, just kept leading to more, to more alcohol. Uh, you know, then the first time, you know, cause the brandy tasted so bad, but the, like the first time I drank a beer, I was like, okay, wait a minute here. This is pretty good. You know, I like the taste of beer. Uh, then I started trying other alcohols. Um, so was and, it, was it the intoxication that you're in addicted? Oh to? yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause you feel, you know, you feel unstoppable. It's like, yuck, you know, you can conquer the world kind of nonsense, right? Yeah. You know, you could, you could, cause you know, they say the truth comes out when you drink alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of that did for me. So I felt invincible. I felt strong. I felt powerful. I felt like I could talk to any girl. I mean, yeah. you know, just everything where fear was kind of driving me down, the alcohol would, would kind of remove fear from you. If yeah. That makes sense. Mask everything. Okay. Yeah. 
So it, it's the intoxication that you were addicted to, which yes, you got it, from the alcohol. Absolutely. Okay. No, no question. So, um, and that led to drugs. Okay. Because um, the next so thing you know, you're, you're 11 years old when you had the mug of brandy. You start drinking. So, how did this lead to drugs? And how old were you? And if I may ask, what were the drugs? What happened? Uh, early on, uh, there was um, cannabis, marijuana, whatever you want to call it, um, amphetamines, barbiturates. Uh, later on, cocaine, heroin, um, you, you know, anything that would change, anything that I could take that would help me avoid pain and gain pleasure, mm-hmm. I went for it. Um, um, what, how old were you then? Um, by the time I got into hard drugs, it was 13, 14. Wow. Things got worse at 15. Every year got worse. Yeah, yeah. And what, um, what was the pain you were avoiding? I guess, um, yeah, I didn't want to be around my, I didn't want to be around my parents. Um, you know, it was like, you know, what's, what's worse, the taste of honey or no taste at all. I'd had a taste of honey and then it went away. I had the perfect family, um, for years there, you know, from five to 11. And then, you know, all hell broke loose. My dad turned into just a, you know, he was just a horrible guy when he drank, he was mean. He was, he was, he was volatile. He was, he was combative. Um, and he just, you know, wanted to fight. Um, and I became the gatekeeper. So my mom, you know, I think she was drinking just to try to keep up with him sometimes. Um, but he lost his license, for example, and, and he still wanted to go to the bar. So he had buddies that would drop him off the, at the bar, uh, after work. And then we had to go pick him up. So I was the guy that ha- <clears throat> I had to go into the bar and go pick him up, you know, and he'd walk in and they're, you know, all his buddies, you know, Hey, it's David again. Come on, you know, put him up on the bar. And, you know, it was like I, all this attention, but it was just, I hated it. I can imagine. Yeah. You know, you go into a dark, dingy, crappy little bar somewhere and, you know, you go in there and it takes you five minutes for your eyes to adjust. Right. I remember doing that. I remember going in, you know, cause I come out of the Southern California sun into a dark, dingy bar. You couldn't even see. And I, you know, I could hear my dad in the background sometimes and he, they'd be laughing and carrying on and, you know, the drunk toxicity of their voices. And they were talking about just crazy stuff, you know, nonsensical, meaningless crap. I don't know any other way to say it. Mm-hmm. And so that got, I got tired of that. <clears throat> I got tired of him drinking, you know, at home in the weekends, he would drink from the moment he got up to the moment he went to bed. And I started to smell, you could smell alcoholism. Alcoholism has a smell. Because what happens is, is that once your liver gets to a point where it can't process, it starts pushing it out of your skin. And there's a certain fragrance to that. And it is horrible. In fact, I, the, the first time I ever remembered smelling it is my Aunt Jo, um, my mom's sis, other sister, who was an up-and-coming um, movie star in Hollywood. She played in The Grapes of Wrath. She played in a lot of movies. She actually had quite a circle of influence in Hollywood. But she was an alcoholic, and, and, and she got cirrhosis of the liver, and she went to the same hospital that I was born in, Queen of Angels. And when I was young, probably seven or eight, we went to the hospital the last time I saw her, and here was this beautiful, gorgeous, radiant woman had been reduced to nothing. 
she 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 was probably I don't know she was well under 100 pounds but you know it was the color of her skin it was that yellow jaundice red color it's just horrible and and again the visual of her was horrible but what got me was the smell it was the smell of her liver rotting from the inside out um and it's horrible and so i started to smell that in my dad so i was anchored to that i had a lot of bad memories of that so you know it was just it was the smell it was the his voice it was how he acted um you know he would he would push me around he he was going to ride his bicycle one time to the to the to the bar uh, it was probably only about a mile and a half ride by bicycle to this one bar where we lived and uh you, you know my mom said go stop your dad don't let him go and i went out there and stopped him i put my hands on the handlebars and um he and i wasn't i didn't have my eyes on him and he got mad he was ticked off that i was stopping him from going to the bar and he threw it through an uppercut and hit me in the chin and you know down i went and he jumped off the bicycle and um you know wanted to fight and it was you know again so it was moments like that it's times like that that just and so how do i deal with it i go drink right makes no sense mm -hmm. that's what happened and so there was a lot of alcoholism in, in my family throughout my family <clears throat> i had lots of people on my mom my mother's side that that uh, died or, or succumbed to drinking um you know some of them died of cirrhosis of the liver uh, one of them stepped out in front of a bus you know kind of a thing so uh, but it was still alcoholism they were still drunk right um and again as i got into my teens jeff it got worse and worse and worse and the, once you get the drugs involved oh it escalates really fast um uh, drugs will get you to to a place of decision much quicker than alcohol if you ask me um and you know i i married my childhood sweetheart in high school i got kicked out of high school my junior year I uh, got a job in a grocery store and joined the retail clerk union. So the good news to that is I was making enough money to support my habits. I'll say habits plural. Um, and and then and then the marriage, the first marriage, we didn't love each other. We were high school sweethearts, and we had an, a fascination and a lust for each other, but we weren't in love. Um, uh, in fact, we went to on the honeymoon. We were in Hawaii for two weeks. We came back, and within two weeks of being back from the honeymoon, we were already done. Um, you know, she threatened to tell my parents that I smoked marijuana, and so I'm like, "Well, that's you're out. <laughs> we're we're done. You're not going to threaten me, you know." And all this egotistical nonsense going on in my head at the time. Um, and then I met a really wonderful woman. Uh, uh, Betsy, who was in California, but she was from Virginia, up around DC. And we started dating and I, I fell in love with this woman. And she knew what was going on with my drug addiction. You know, there were pimps were involved and, and drug addicts and drug dealers. And she basically said, you know what, I think it's probably a good time for to leave California. Let me take you back to Virginia, where you know, her parents were from and her family. And, and so she literally did. We pretty much sold everything we had, loaded up her Toyota Corolla, put a U-Haul carrier on top, threw our rest of our stuff in it, and we we left California, which which definitely saved my life. Unquestionably got me out of there because uh, uh, I probably wasn't far away from somebody putting a bullet in my head. Um, 
And so, you know, and then that, you know, that went awry, right? One day she came to me and she said, David, I love you. You're one of the greatest guys I've ever met, but I can't do this. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't argue with it. You know, she was right. She needed to get away from me. I was dangerous. I was volatile. And uh, she had seen and witnessed it. And so she did the right thing and she left. And then I met another woman, a bartender. <laughs> How convenient, right? Um, <laughs> don't, we pick them the right way. Uh, another wonderful woman. She had three kids. And, and the motivation to that was, wow, you know what? If I, if I marry this woman, because she's got three kids, I'll calm down. Well, okay. I did for about three weeks. And, you know, that's all it lasted. And, and then, um, you know, that went awry. And, uh, but that's that, that in the final stages of that, that's where I found AA because now I'm, I'm coming into June 8th of 1988. And when I woke up that morning, I went, that's it. I'm out. We're not doing this anymore. And, and again, the only, the only, the only option or the only resolve that I thought I had was load your pistol and put a bullet in your head because it'll stop. The pain will stop instantly. Um, and you know, of course that's a horrible option because we, you know, many people know when you kill yourself, you kill everybody around you as well. And, you know, and that's, what's interesting, Jeff, it was a, it was a thought of compassion that stopped me from putting a bullet in my head because I remember thinking, wow, you know what, dude, when you pull that trigger, first of all, I'm living in the basement the rest of the family's living upstairs They're They don't want any, you know, they throw food down the, down into the basement. They didn't want to come anywhere near me. I was horrible. Um, but I remember thinking, man, if you pull that trigger, those kids are going to see this. And that's going to be a horrible, horrible thing to do to them. They don't deserve that. You love those kids. You can't do that to them. So I struggled with that. It was like, okay, well, then go out in the woods and do it. They won't see it. But, you know, that's, that's just part of it. You know, everybody in school would know it. The community's going to know it. All the neighbors are going to know it. You know, the fire department's coming. You know, the morgue's people, you know, all of that. And they would have, had, they would have been exposed to all of that. And that, what a horrible, what a horrible situation to put them in, you know, of self-centeredness, because I can't figure out, you know, what I want to do with my life at that moment, other than I want the pain to stop. So that's after I struggled with that, I was like, you know, well, why don't you call AA? And here's what's interesting about that. I had no idea who AA was, Jeff. AA I being never, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Yes. Yes. Alcoholics Anonymous. But I, I'd never been to an AA meeting. I didn't know anybody that was in AA. I didn't know who AA was. And yet, <clears throat> there it was. Alcoholics Anonymous is now ringing in my head. Call them. And I did. And when I called, I got this wonderful lady on the phone. I love her to this day. I, you know, I never got to meet her or any of that. And I affectionately call her Madge. And the reason I do is she talked like this, <laughs> right? She must have smoked like two packs of Pall Mall non-filters a day. But there she was answering the phone for Intergroup for Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, she put me through the ringer mm -hmm. because it was her responsibility to decide whether or not to send someone over to pick me up. So obviously I must have done a fairly decent job because she made arrangements and she sent a man to come pick me up. And his name is Lauren. And Lauren took me to a group in Fairfax, Virginia, called the Stepping Stones Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was an all-men's group. And so we got there in time to go to a 12.30 meeting, um, a, a 4.30, a 6.30, and an 8.30. 
And during all that, they gave me a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they all wrote their name and their telephone number in it. And at the bottom, they said, before you take that first drink, call one of us. And then they also gave me a Living Sober book. They did the same thing. Well, I had enough AA, four meetings that day, to go home and, you know, and try not to take a drink. Because they even asked me, are you going to be able to go home tonight and not take a drink? And I go, I don't know. I, I can't answer that. I, I can't promise anything. But somehow I muscled through it. And the next morning at 8 o'clock, one of the members, John, who had listened to me talk in the meeting and share, knew where I lived and got my phone number. And he knew he lived right down the road from me. And he called me at 8 o'clock and he said, hey, Dave, good morning. How are you, you doing this morning? And I'm like, how do you think I'm doing? You know, I want to kill somebody. I might, I might start with you. Right? Yeah. I, I felt horrible. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, yeah. He just laughed it off. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. He said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to come over. Uh, I want to take you out to breakfast and, and let's, let's go to some meetings today. Well, that was really it. That, that got me. Here's a perfect stranger, doesn't know me. And all he cares about is wanting to make sure that I get to a meeting to save my life. Um, And so two days turned into a week, a week turned into a month. And that's where I got my first, my second chip, actually. On the day of my first meeting, they gave me what's called a surrender chip. Um, And then after, you know, after 30 days, they gave me a chip. They gave me another one at two months, three months, six months, nine months, and a year. Um, and, and that was it, man. I was on my way. Um, and, and during the recovery in the early days of all this, I had insomnia. I had insomnia for months. My uh, sleep patterns were all over the place. And, uh, so one, one night uh, I'm up late three o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden there he is, you know, Mr. Infomercial himself, right? Um, the Tony Robbins, a young Tony Robbins marketing his program, personal power which is a 30 day program. Um, and, uh, I, you know, when I first started watching him, I was like, I didn't like him at all. I couldn't stand him. And you know, the reason I couldn't stand him is he was so motivated, you know, he's all excited and you're, and I'm like, yeah. I'm miserable. I don't want to hear about all this. Right. <laughs> but he said something that got me. He said two things that got me. One is he said, uh, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And I remember thinking, Whoa, did you nail me on that? Because that's why I drink. Yeah, yeah. that was the whole reason. Yeah, The whole reason to avoid pain and gain pleasure. And then, of course, one day it leaves you, right? It doesn't work any longer. It's not avoiding pain. It's not getting pleasure. In fact, it's getting worse. But you're so physically addicted that you've got to have it or you'll shake. You'll come apart. You'll feel your whole body shaking so bad that you think your internal organs are going to, you know, come loose. Um. And then the other thing he said was, uh, the, the reason we, how we make decisions in life is we're motivated by inspiration or desperation. And I remember thinking, well, I'm pretty desperate. So, you yeah. know, let me, let me buy this guy's program. And so I spent the, I think it was $169 on my American Express card and they sent me the program. How long ago was this, Dave? That would have been in 19, uh, end of 88, beginning of 89. Somewhere okay. in that ballpark. I don't remember. So the exactly. program, program would have been uh, on cassette tape? <laughs> yeah, those little white things <laughs> yeah, called cassette yeah, tapes, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. None of your uh, listeners are going to even know what those things are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it came on cassette tapes. And, and I plugged it in, and I did exactly what the man taught me to do, and it worked. 
Well, I started making other changes because now AA and the personal development industry is coming together in my life simultaneously. So I've got the 12 steps. It's showing me how to live my life alcohol-free and how to make amends and look at my shortcomings and my character defects and how to, you know, the maintenance steps and how to help others and how to keep my side of the street clean. The 12, the 12 traditions are showing me how to live my life sober and within the group and the bylaws, if you will. And then the personal development is helping me in this whole other realm of, of just, you know, fascinating information. Uh, the, you know, the Tony Robbins of the world, the Zig Ziglar's, the Norman Vincent Peels, you know, the, uh, you know, Eckhart Tolle. I mean, all these um, uh, different motivational, inspirational men and women. Um, and <clears throat> so one of my buddies in AA is like, dude, what are you doing? You look good. You're working out. You started a new business. You, you seem really, really motivated. What's going on? I go, well, I've been listening to a guy by the name of Tony Robbins. And he said, well, I know who Tony Robbins is. He goes, yeah, that, that's, he's pretty cool, isn't he? I go, yeah, he's great. I just went through his personal power program, comes on cassette tapes. He goes, wow, I need to do that. And I said, well, I'll loan you my program if you promise me you'll go through it. He goes, oh, my gosh, yeah, I absolutely promise you. So I gave it to him. He did it. Well, seven years later, um, 1995, my phone rings one day, and it's my buddy Dan. He's like, dude, hey, did you know that Tony Robbins is coming to town live? I'm like, no, I had no clue. He goes, come on, man, we've got to go. I want to see this guy. And I go, yeah, I I'm in, man, let let's go. So we looked at the dates and all matched. He goes, great, let me make the arrangements, I'll call you back. So he called me back like an hour later. He goes, done. We pick up the tickets at Will Call, and here's what they told us to do. Number one, uh, bring snacks. You're going to spend a lot of time in the room. <laughs> what an <laughs> I'm laughing because what an understatement that is. Uh, people that have know Tony that have been to an event, they'll, they'll know. But um, he gets you in there. He'll put you in a room for 10 to 12 hours a day. Um, and so uh, he said, and then they said, you know, bring a uh, drink, a lot of water. Make sure you're, you're, you're hydrated. <clears throat> uh, bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. I said, well, Dan, how much was the ticket? He said, $700. I said, what? $700? This is in 95. Yeah. Jeff. So what does that equate to today? Seven grand, maybe? Yeah, maybe something like that. A lot of money. Close. Yeah, it's a lot of money. And, 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 and I said, well, don't you worry, Dan. I'll play full out. Um, and he, and as he's getting ready to get off the phone, he goes, Oh, wait, oh, wait, wait, I forgot to tell you something. We're going to be doing a fire walk. And I remember thinking, well, maybe you are, but I'm sure not. Um, I'm like, Oh no, hell no, that's not going to happen. That's a hard no for me. Now, by the way, I'm not saying anything to Dan. I'm just quietly saying this in my, yeah, I'm, sure. thinking, I'm not going to do a fire walk. What are you talking about? Are you nuts? And you know, what's interesting about that, Jeff? I didn't know what a firewalk was. I had no idea. All I knew is it didn't sound like anything that I wanted to be doing. And my little fear gauge kicked in and said, nope, you're not doing that. And uh, I you know, got off the phone and said, yeah, 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 Dan, no problem. That sounds really great. Yeah, well, all right, I'll see you then. Well, the, day, the big day comes. And uh, we got in our seats at 2 o'clock. Tony took the stage at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, the next thing you, you know... It's after midnight. <laughs> so the snacks part and spending a lot of time in the room, 10 hours with Tony Robbins. Yeah. And all, and all of a sudden, Tony goes, take your shoes off. 
And I'm like, oh, no, 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 pal. I'm not falling for that one. Don't, I'm not even going to think about it. Well, I'm looking around me, 3,500 people at this event, and guess what they're doing? They're taking their shoes off. And I'm thinking, people, no, don't. It's a trap. <laughs> you know, don't do it. Right? And so, um, and now I've got a dilemma. What am I going to do? Because if I don't take my shoes off, they're all going to know that I'm a coward. So I'm like, oh, man. Well, just take them off and, you know, go hide in the back somewhere. There's 3,500 people there. You'll be easy to hide out. No one's going to know. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> So then he takes you outside, right? As he's taking you outside, before he does that, he gets everybody chanting, right? So they're, they're like, you know, they're clapping, you know, and, and they're chanting, yes, yes, yes. And so now 3,500 people chanting. It's pretty intense, right? And then when you get out into this giant parking lot where the firewalk is, 3,500 people, he's got African drummers. So now it's dun, 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 dun. And everybody's chanting and clapping. And, it, you know, it's just an unbelievable experience. It's insane, right? And so over in the corner of the parking lot, they built a huge fire. And what I mean huge is probably 30 feet wide. It's every bit of 70 feet long. And they've been burning it all day and just adding wood, more wood, more wood, so that at the end of the night, it renders this beautiful, giant pile of blue glowing coals. Well, to walk 3,500 people, what they had to do logistically is they would load the coals in a wheelbarrow, a steel wheelbarrow, and then they would pull it in between two lanes of sod. And a fire lane, if you will. And that fire lane is about eh, three feet wide, 18 feet long. And then they just take a shovel and they sprinkle those coals out onto that fire lane. And that's what you walk on. Well, as I said earlier, I'm having none of this. I'm, I, I find my way to the back and I'm going to go hide out there. Well, here's what Tony knows. Tony chose fire walking because he knows it can be one of the most unbelievable moments of any human being's life. He studied it intensely and he knows it's gonna create a paradigm shift. He knows it's gonna create breakthroughs. He knows how powerful the experience is. So he doesn't want people to miss out. So what does he do? He trains people to go find all the cowards like me. <laughs> Literally, right? So so I'm, at, I'm back in the back, Jeff. I'm like minding my own business. I'm kind of enjoying it, right? Because. But, you know, people are starting to walk and they're screaming and yelling and they're chanting and the drums are going. And it's just like, you know, talk about a dog and pony show. Man. It's like, it's intense. And I'm kind of minding my own business. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy and he makes eye contact with me. Well, Tony must train them. Once you make eye contact with somebody, don't take your eyes off them. And so he makes eye contact with you. And now he's coming right at me. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you've got to be kidding. Get away from me. And he gets about uh, maybe 20 feet from me and he kind of bends over and he looks at me with a funny look on his face. He kind of twists his head and he's like, Hey, are, are you okay? <laughs> and when we're not okay, what do we say? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. No worries, mate. We're good here. Don't, you know, move along, pal. We're good here. Nothing to see. And all of a sudden he said, well, um, Hey, are you going to walk tonight? And I said, absolutely not. 
you know, and I said it with a lot of tonality, like, get yeah, away yeah. from me, pal. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You did, right? Didn't you get the memo? And, 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 and he goes, hey, man, that's cool. It's no problem. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And I went, oh, okay. Well, I like this guy now. He's going to get me out of here. Well, here's a stranger. Don't know who it is to this day. And, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here on the secrets of success with Jeff Smith because he said to me, well, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I thought, well, yeah, sure. Let's do that. Let's watch these people burn their feet off. This should be entertaining. <laughs> well, I'm a hundred yards away. I got 3,000, 3,500 people in front of me. I can't see anything. I can hear it, but I can't see anything except for the glow of the big fire over here in the corner. And it says, he said, well, look, just get in line, and eventually you'll, be, you'll get up there to where you can see it. <laughs> right? It's like, okay, um, uh, I'll fall for that. And in his defense, he's telling me the truth because I would have never been able to see it. So I get in line, and I'm kind of walking along and walking along and walking along, and all of a sudden, here comes this guy. And he, whis- and he comes up and he whispers in my ear. And he said, he knows when you're ready. When he says go, you go. And pew, the guy just took off, disappeared into the night. And I'm like, what was that? Who was that? What was that about? And so I'm just kind of walking along and walking along. And all of a sudden, I get to a position where if I look to the side, <clears throat> I can see them. And they're walking. They're doing it. Every race, every creed, every color, every age, they are walking on fire. They're screaming and yelling and celebrating. And it's, man, you know, I've never seen or witnessed anything like it in my life to this day. And so now I'm mesmerized. I'm in a trance and I'm just staring at it, kind of like a car accident. You know, you're you're not supposed to look at it, but we can't help but look at it. Yeah, morbid fascination, right? Morbid fascination, right? (laughs) Well, here is kind of similar, and I'm staring, man, and I'm just watching it and watching it and fascinated, and all of a sudden, boom, guess where I am? I'm at the front of the line. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. How did I get here? And I'm looking down, and I'm staring at that fire lane, and the coals are bright red, and they're just glowing. Beautiful summer night. Uh, The moon's out. Um, there's a wheelbarrow there full of coals. You can feel the heat coming off. So it got real, real, real fast, right? And, and so I'm staring into the abyss. Well, there's a trainer standing there. And all of a sudden, the trainer goes, eyes up, you know, kind of forcefully. And I'm like, oh, geez, they startled me, right? I, yeah. I lift my eyes up. Well, apparently, I'm a slow learner. Because when I was in that room for 10 hours with Tony Robbins, guess what he taught us to do? Keep your eyes up. Don't stare at what you fear. Breathe and, 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 and look to the celebration in because that's where the victory is. And so now my eyes are up, and, and all of a sudden the trainer said, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. And he went, stronger. And I went, yes. And so he could tell. He could tell I was leaving a lot on the table. I was not in a peak state. And so he screamed at me, stronger. And I threw my hands in the air. I'm almost, I'm ticked off now, right? Yeah. Fight or flight. And I threw my hands in the air and I screamed at the top of my young, my lungs, yes. And he goes, go, go, go. Poo. I took off. Well, well, well. Here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. When you take that first step, oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth, right? You don't stop on that fire lane. 
And metaphorically, it's a lot like life, right? Because, you know, it's all about making a decision and taking that first step in life. And so Tony positions two people at the end of the lane and they interlock their arms and they stop you. And they're like, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. So I'm kind of wiping my feet and I'm celebrating. And all of a sudden I go, oh my gosh, I've burnt myself really, really bad. I can feel it. And I, and I, I lift my foot up to look at my right foot and it's dirty, but there's no burns. Oh, it's my other foot. It's, oh yeah, it's burnt really bad. I look at my foot, it's dirty, but there's no burns. And so now I'm standing there having done something that I wasn't going to do. I have no idea how I did it. I walked on coals that are a thousand degrees and I don't have a clue. And talk about exhilaration. Talk about thinking you can conquer the world. I mean, it's, it's just an unbelievable feeling. And you're sharing it with 3,500 other people at the same time. So, you know, everybody's self-confidence, their self-belief, their self-worth is, is risen. The vibration of all of us is risen. Well, I went to bed that night and I did not wash my feet. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to save this. Yeah, right? yeah I can uh, imagine well, that. I get right? that. It's, it's interesting. And I found that a lot of other people do that as well or did it or have done it uh, since my first fire alarm. Well, here's where it gets really, really interesting was the next day. So there's 3,500 people all did something amazing last night off the chain. Amazing rite of passage, something ceremonial that's been around for a thousand years and used by cultures all over the world. And we're all standing in that foyer getting ready to go into the venue. And I'd never seen or witnessed anything like it in my life. And I've never have since because people were getting along, Jeff, like you would not believe. They were laughing, they were crying, they were hugging. I mean, you could feel the energy. It was amazing. It felt incredible. And so I'm like, are, is it really? I mean, what happened last night? Is, are we all feeling like this this morning and acting humanistically the way we are because of that firewalk? Well, guess what? You better believe we are. And that's what got me. I'm like, okay, I'm all in. I get it. I love it. I fell in love with it. Uh, what's not the love? You know, because it was serving serving so many people at such a high level. Many, many people's needs were being being fulfilled. And so later in, during the event, I met one of Tony's trainers, Ted Macy, great guy. Him and his wife, Mary Macy, are, were trainers for Tony for many years. And uh, so we got to talking and I said, man, it must be really awesome to be in this environment and come be part of this. He goes, oh my gosh. You have no idea, man. It's incredible. And he says, see all these people over here with these black and pink shirts? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, guess what? Those are volunteers and you can become one. So when you get home, call Robbins Research in San Diego and ask them to send you an application to become a volunteer crew member. And I did. And they sent me the, like this five-page interview, if you will. And I filled it all out. I sent it back. And a few weeks later, I got a letter in the mail and it said, Dave Alvin, congratulations. You've been selected to crew with Anthony Robbins of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And so that would have been in late 95. Um, and that was it. Once I got to the environment, once you get there, they take your application and they look at who you are. And they kind of decide what, what position they want to give you. 
Well, number one, I had a military and a, and a security background. So they were like, oh, he'd be perfect to put on the security team to help take care of uh, Mr. Robbins' uh, celebrities. The other thing, because I lived on a farm and I knew how to use a lot of tools, I knew how to drive some equipment, knew how to use a log splitter, if you will, um, uh, how to chop wood. They said, oh, he's a, he's, he'd be perfect for the fire team, which is exactly what I wanted. And boom, there I was. Well, I crewed five, maybe six times in uh, 95, going into 96. And the next thing I know, they decided they wanted to offer me a position as a subcontractor on the security team. And, um, you know, they pay my way and they, you know, take care of my, my expenses. They give me per diem for food and they pay for my hotel. <clears throat> because up until that point as a volunteer, you pay for all of that. And Tony uses about, well, on, on an event that size, he used about 300 people for a 3,500-person uh, firewalk. Uh, and, and 60 to 70 of those people were outside all day in the fire building team because that's where all the physical work is. So there's a lot going on when you put on a firewalk of that size. Um, and then in 2003, <clears throat> my life changed again. Tony offered me the fire captain position which meant that I would take over all of his firewalks globally. Well, initially I said, I can't do it. And they said, why? And I said, well, because I homeschool my kids. And they're like, oh, okay, well, that's an easy resolve. What if we pay to have your kids travel with us? Would that make a difference? And I'm like, yeah, of course it would. And so my very first event with my family on the road with the Anthony Robbins companies, um, was Sydney, Australia. <laughs> um, so that's where, you know, my kids started traveling with me <clears throat> in 2003. Uh, in 2005, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Jeff, we did the, um, the, the big fire walk or the biggest fire walk uh, in London, uh, 12,300 people. Now I want to disclose something. I say it's a world record. However, Guinness Book was not there. Um, uh, though I can tell you that's the biggest one that has ever been done on the planet. And, and the only one that would come anywhere close to that would be um, another Tony Robbins seminar. <clears throat> and then, you know, we went along there for, you know, from 2003 to 2014. So about 11 years in that position as the captain. Um, and then I'm driving down the road one day in 2014 and my phone rings and guess who's calling me? Google. And, and they want to know, are you the Dave Albin that does the firewalks for Tony Robbins? I'm like, yeah. And they said, well, um, we'd like to talk to you about possibly hiring you unless, of course, you're, you know, unless you're under a non-compete or, you know, under, you're under some contractual obligation. And I said, nope, homeboy's a free agent. What you got going on? And they went on to tell me that they had a, a 148 executives that were going to graduate from this nine-month curriculum, and they wanted to create a really special graduation, and they were, you know, wanted to talk about a firewalk. And I said, well, guys, if I, I found out they wouldn't do it in the middle of the day. And I'm like, we can't do it in the middle of the day. We have to do it at night. That's non-negotiable. It's a safety issue. I need to be able to see the color of those coals. I said, but I'll tell you what we could do. We could do a glass walk. And they went, a glass walk? You mean walking on broken glass? And I'm going, yeah. They go, well, that's interesting. Tell us about that. And they decided to go for it. In fact, <laughs> when I got to Google the night before, uh, I, I sat down to dinner with them and, and, and the University of North Carolina had been the ones that had designed the curriculum for these executives. 
And so we're sitting there at dinner and uh, they're like, what, the girl from Google's like, so Dave, um, can we ask you a question? And I said, sure, what's up? They said, well, we kind of like to do something and just wanted to make sure you'd be okay with it. I said, sure, what do you want to do? They said, well, you know the movie Die Hard? And I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I got a friend that, that played in the movie. And they said, really? And I, well, what, what about it? And they said, well, there's a scene where the, they, the machine guns shoot out all the glass and Bruce Willis has to run across the broken glass. He said, would you care if we showed that before we bring you on stage? And I said, I like you people. You're my kind <laughs> yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So they did. And they said, well, and there's one other thing. I'm like, okay, what's that? They said, well, there's a song by Annie Lennox. And it's called Walking on Broken, broken Glass. glass. Can, we, yeah. can we play that when we bring you out of the green room on stage? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So there I was, Jeff. And that's when the light bulb went off. I'm like, okay, if Google's calling you about a corporate team building experience like this, they have a little bit of access to wisdom and knowledge and information. And so, in fact, I, I literally had a conversation with two of the execs. Uh, and one of them, a female, she basically looked at me and she said, look, man, I, I know you work for Tony, but if I were in your shoes and, and be who you are in the marketplace, corporations will eat you alive, man. There's such a marketplace for this because, you know, there's really not these kind of experiences out there, life-changing experiences. You know, what doesn't, you know, most CEOs know what doesn't challenge you, doesn't change you. So, you know, they're, they're left with a daunting task of keeping all their people motivated and inspired and encouraged. And how do you do that? You have, you create these kinds of experiences. Uh, and when you can take a whole group of people and change their life together collectively, man, what, what a, what a, what a shot in the arm for your company and your business. And, and, and it says a lot about a company that's willing to do that. So it made sense to me. I'm like, okay, this, if Google's telling you there's a marketplace for this, you might want to pay attention, Dave. <laughs> so, so, I did. so you set up your company then. What's it called, Dave? Uh, the company name is Firewalk Productions, LLC. Okay. So um, if somebody wants to do a firewalk then, how do they go about it? Um, they go to www.firewalkadventures.com. So Firewalk Adventures is all one word. And, and something that we just did, and we're launching it to the full tilt here in October, is the Dave Albin Firewalk Academy. So if, if anyone out there, they're a life coach or a trainer or a CEO or a business owner or whatever, if they want to come to the academy, then they spend a week with me. And I train them and I show them everything I know. I teach them big firewalks, little firewalks, the board break, the brick break, the arrow break, the glass walking, how to prep everything, how to sell it, how to get involved with you know your uh, communities and chamber of commerces here in the US. And, you know, just become a, a corporate team building extraordinaire that they can come to the academy. And something I want to do for your podcast, Jeff, is that if anybody goes to my website, they go at the top left, there's a tab that says the academy. And they go there and they look at that and they go, you know what? I want to do that. Uh, that's awesome. Um, if they, when, when, we, when we do the discovery call to make sure it's a fit for them, um, uh, they, they'll, they can give me a code. And that code will be 6828. 
and I'll give them a really nice discount for uh, being on the Secrets of Success podcast here today. 6828. Six, I'm just writing that down. 6828. Yes. And that's the code for Secrets of Success. That, that's very kind, very generous of you, Dave. I my really, pleasure. I really, really appreciate that. And uh, I know you're doing it because of the foundation we have here to uh, help other people who are not as yes. fortunate as ourselves. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's my okay. pleasure. Okay, so maybe there's somebody listening thinking, okay, I don't want to train to be a firewalker, but if I change my mind... I know where to go. I now have the code. But if I just want to firewalk, and how do I go about that? Um, the beauty in that is they get a hold of me, and I take my, my team and I take care of everything. You don't have to do anything but you know help with some of the logistics and you know finding the venue and these. Now we'll do we'll, we'll help with a lot of that as well. But at the end of the day, if you want to create a life-changing experience like this, basically all they've got to do is write a check. Uh, and then and we'll have a conversation and I'll, and I'll get with them and say, okay, so what do you want me to design? So, you know, I designed Tony's firewalks this way. Uh, T. Har Beckard wanted me to do it that way. Uh, uh, Google, NASA, Notre Dame, Chick-fil-A, you know, Microsoft, Heineken, all of them wanted something a little different. So just tell me what you want. Maybe you're launching a new product, whatever. Let me know what it is, and we'll design the keynote presentation and all the training around that. So, again, they don't have to do anything except, you know, again, let me know what kind of an experience they want me to create. That's awesome. So people can join the academy to learn how to do and create events themselves. Yes. They can call you and say, hey, Dave, I have an event. Come take care of it for our people. Yep. Now, what about the other level? Let's say there's an individual person listening to this show that says, okay, I don't want to be a firewalk instructor. I don't want to set up an event, but man, Dave, you've inspired me so much. How do I get to do a firewalk by myself? How do I join in with this? Um, well, um, the, what I can do there is... Uh, let's have a conversation and, and if we both are on the same page, then you can come to my house, to my home up here in the Appalachian mountains in this beautiful state of North Carolina. And I'll, I'll create a private event for you. Okay. Um, I've had, I've got what I did. I just did four of them. Uh, and I've got one next weekend, not this weekend, but the following weekend that I got another one the following weekend thereafter. So I've had celebrities and professional athletes and, you know, people who want to re remain anonymous, um, get a hold of me. And so, you know, they can come and spend a couple of days with me here in the mountains and we'll do the firewalk and we'll talk about some other things um, in terms of, you know, because I've been immersed in the personal development industry for three decades. You can't spend 20 years with Tony Robbins and not learn a few things. Yeah, for uh, sure. Right. Sure. So I'll help them with that. Okay, and, um, so we also have the Jeff Smith International Academy. So I'm going to get a group together, Dave. And I think the, the best solution for us is to come see you at your home. That's, so I'm going to take you up on that. Awesome. So we'll have, a talk about, we'll have a talk after the show about how okay. to do that with our graduates. Perfect. That will be awesome. Oh, now, gosh, Mike. okay, 
Let me ask some questions about the experience itself. Um, sure. How hot are these burning coals? Well, if you were to take a temperature gauge, one of those digital uh, laser ones, and you'd hit the coals, you'll find that they're, you know, approximately a thousand degrees. Ah, it, it, it's hot. So, yeah, they're hot. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. They're hot. So, why do people not burn their feet? <laughs> you know, it, I, I love this question, Jeff, because people have been asking me this uh, for a long time. And, and my answer is, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know what happened the first time I did it. I walked on coals over a thousand degrees and I didn't burn myself. What happened? Scientifically, what's going on? You know, I, I don't know. Um, other than I've got my own hallucination. Mm -hmm. And that is, all right, so when someone's in a real peak state, fight or flight, professional athlete, getting go ready to go into the ring or go into the game or go into the Olympics or, you know, the Super Bowl, the World Series, whatever, MMA fighting, when they're going into the ring, they're at a peak state that's super, super high. And so if you took a picture of their hands and their feet, there's a tremendous amount of energy being expelled through your fingers, your hands, and your feet. So that might be one part that you've got two energies pushing on each other. I think the number one thing for me, and this is, you know, just because I've seen hundreds of thousands of people firewalk, um, you, you've got to trust the process. You've got you've to submit to the fire. I, I say that the fire is like a woman. Um, and when does a woman want your attention from a man? All the time. So in other words, don't go up to the fire distracted. Don't go up to the fire with a big ego. Like I'm going to own you. I've seen this happen. <laughs> I've seen guys come out running out. They're all egotistical and they're screaming. They get to the fire lane and they're, you know, they're screaming at it and they're yelling at it, saying stupid things like, I own you. I'm going to conquer you, man. And all that. I'm like, Oh man, I wouldn't do that. If I were you, I wouldn't say that if I were you. And literally Jeff, they take like two or three steps and they jump off the fire lane. Right. So get your ego in check. And just get to a really beautiful place, right? Because Tony Robbins seminars are very high intensity, you know, peak state. You know, you know, you're saying yes, 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 and then you go. Um, so it's kind of like preparing to get into a sporting um, um, role, if you will. But that's not how the Cherokee Indians do it. Mm -hmm. That's not how the Fahitians do it. The Hawaiians, the Polynesians, the Indo-Europeans, the people of India, no. They're quiet. They don't say a word. You know, here we're walking on, you know, remember what I said earlier. We sprinkle those coals on a fire lane. And, but if you go to my website, there's a picture on there of a ceremony in India. And what they did is they kind of dug out a trench. It's kind of concave. And there's all kinds of people, family and friends, standing around this fire pit. And they're dressed in beautiful pastel colors. It's just gorgeous. Well, in the middle of the pit is a woman. And I'm guessing from the looks on her face, she's probably somewhere around 19, 20 years old. She's, got a, she's, she's also wearing beautiful silk pastel colors. Well, she's got a flower in her mouth, and then she's holding two newborns. These babies don't look to be more than a week old. And she's in coals that are this thick. And, and what I mean by that, they're probably three to four inches thick. 
That's not coal sprinkled on grass. That's a fire pit. And she's in the middle. And she can't get out. And if she was to drop one of the babies, the, ba- the baby wouldn't make it. it. You know, it'd have third-degree burns. You can't get to it quick enough. And especially wearing silk. You know what I mean? So that's a ceremony. That's a rite of passage. And so I, I, I want my clients to know, look, when you get out there tonight, you decide. You want to go high-intensity MMA fighter kind of intensity? By all means, as long as you love and respect the fire, you want to take that kind of energy, do it. It's fine. I've seen many, many people do that. If you want to take more of a rite of passage, a quiet, ceremonial type of way of doing it, do that too. As long as you're all in, as long as you're fully committed, and as long as you show the fire love and respect, you'll be fine. Um, you know, years ago, um, they uh, National Geographic went to a firewalk in Portugal. And it was a ceremony. And they got permission to put heart monitors on, on everybody there, the attendees and the walkers. And as soon as they put on, put on the monitors, and as soon as they started walking, everybody's heart calibrated. Well, how do you explain that? I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say straight up, I don't know. Something happens, Jeff. It's a magical experience. I, I Again, I and I don't have the answer other than, you know, other than, you know, again, maybe the energies are pushing off. Uh, maybe the maybe the fire can tell. Uh, you know, water can tell. That's an element. You know, you can you can look at water and talk to water and influence water to change the molecular structure. And we know that scientifically. That's been proven many, many years ago, right? Well, is it possible you could do it with another element called fire? Maybe you can. I just know that the end result is one of the most magical experiences any human being can have. Talking about magical experiences, you've seen, as you said, hundreds of thousands of people do this. So when people have completed their firewalk, Dave, what is it that you witness? Well, you see it immediately. So when they're, you know, when they're standing there getting ready to walk, you see all the fears and, and, you know, they're processing so much, their brain's going a million miles an hour. It's processing every fear that they've ever had, you know, anything they've ever said to somebody and anything they want to, you know, break out of. I mean, it's all being processed at lightning speed in their head. And then all of a sudden you see a moment and it's kind of like a little twitch and they go, you know what, I'm going to do this. And, and, and again, when I'm with them, I give them the opportunity to put their hands up in the air and just walk, or they can pound their chest and create the intensity. They can do that. And then when they get to the end, the, the, the payoff, the result is instant. It's not like, you know, you have to wait for it. You can see it. They start screaming, they're yelling, they're jumping. Cause we tell them, I tell them, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate, anchor it into your central nervous system. And then, of course, immediately following that, I'm going to ask him a question. You know, uh, now that you have more courage and now that you've firewalked and proven you can do something that's almost impossible, what else can you do? And that's the leverage. And again, that's why, why has Tony been using it for three decades? Uh, because he knows it works and it works consistently. And, and so that's the beauty is, again, you can just look at the look on their face when they get ready to do it. Then you look on their face when they finished and it's a night and day difference. 
Um, it's beautiful to watch. And I'm the guy that's got to do this. I'm, you know, can you imagine blessed watching you hundreds are. of thousands blessed. of people? Yeah. Blessed. It's just nuts. Okay. So wonderful to be yeah. in that position. There's a couple of things I want to backtrack on here. Sure. So I'm guessing the guy that comes forward and wants to own the coals, focuses on the coals, and we'll come back to this point in a moment, yeah. takes two or three steps and then steps off. So I'm taking it that not everybody does this. It's, yeah, it's very rare. It, it only shows up when somebody brings a, a massive ego to the fire. Okay, which brings me on to my next question then, really, because when you first started talking about this and your, I'll use your words, your cowardice for not wanting to walk the coals... The guy took you up the front there and said, eyes up. So what they're really saying is, don't focus on the problem. Don't focus on the heat. Don't focus on what you don't want. Focus, eyes forward, and focus on what you do want. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So, So metaphorically, and we know that in the world of the personal development industry, we do. Right. Um, uh, focus on what you want. And, and, and that in and of itself, that's why, you know, that's why a lot of mentors uh, and coaches and trainers and such uh, guys like us, we tell people, look, create a vision board, mm-hmm. look at it every single day. And, and, it, and if your goal and your vision doesn't scare the hell out of you, it's probably not big enough. Scary so, thoughts, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I know. I mean, you know, and I I know what that's like. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I know what it's like to get the call from Tony Robbins and he wants you to take over all his events. I know what it's like to be called by Google and then, then want to hire you. So I know what that feels like in your gut. You know, I'm a I'm an alcoholic drug addict who almost put a bullet in my head. Uh, I, I, you know, I spent a great deal of my life, Jeff, tr- trying to screw my life up. So to all of a sudden now be in this position to be like right now with you on this show, it's so humbling. Um, and, and yet at the same time, you know, we, we have to serve, you know, at a high level. When much, when much has been given, you know, much has to be given back. Because if you help enough people get what they want in life, you'll always get what you want. It's a universal code. And people struggle with that. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the whole achievement versus fulfillment side of life. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, uh, We have an organization, they have them in your neck of the woods too, uh, the EO organization, the Entrepreneurs Organization. And I think there's 198 chapters globally. Well, they're all entrepreneurs. And to get in, you have to be invited, number one. Number two, uh, you have to show three years financials and you have to show that you grossed at least a million dollars a year or they don't let you in. You know, they don't want a bunch of entrepreneur wannabes. They, if you've made a million bucks a year in three years, you've gone through some stuff. You've got some things figured out. And you can take that knowledge and wisdom and bring it, you know, to the group. Um, and one of the things I talk to them about is, is, is getting, making sure you get clear the difference between achievement and fulfillment. Because let me tell you what's not going to happen in your life. You are not going to come to the end of your life and say to yourself, wow, I wish I'd have spent more time making money and less time with my family. Uh-uh. Uh, it's, that's a really, really scary place to be. Um, and so, you, you know, it's an art and a science. It's really what it is. And, uh, you know, we learn it's not all about the money. I know you know that. I know you teach that and, and preach that. 
um, and finding that that wonderful spot of helping other human beings. So it's wonderful. And, you know, and I got that in AA. Alcoholics Anonymous gave me that. Because when somebody new walks in the door, I, I, am, I love being a gatekeeper because their life's on the line. And I know what that's like. I know what it looked like, felt like, talked like, act like. So I understand it. And when I can, when I can turn to that guy and I can go, hey, man, I know how you feel. But let me tell you something. You better jump all in. Because if you don't, let me tell you something. Alcohol is going to kick your you-know-what bad, unlike anything you could imagine. And so you've been given a gift, pal, because when you come in, you know, that, that's a great thing. Uh, uh, but if you go back out, yeah, well, now you become a volunteer. Uh, and a lot of people don't get this opportunity. They never find the doors of AA. So you better get real crystal, crystal clear with the gift that you've just been given. <laughs> um, Dave, we've come full circle. Yes. So I just want to remind people listening and uh, express my, I'm going to say gratitude because I can't think of a, a better word right now, but in many ways it's not enough because today is the 8th of June. Yeah. And Dave, the 8th of June 1988 is when it changed for you. You know, and I'm a big believer in synchronicity. Um, Things happen for a reason. Um, When you came on, just before you came on to the show, you're in the green room and we're setting the microphones up. And I said, hey, Dave, did you realize it's June 8th? (laughs) Uh, A tear came into your eye and he said, yeah, what, what happens on June the 8th? But that you're here on a podcast with me, and I cannot imagine what June the 8th, 1988 was like for you. But today, I, I can see I've got the benefits of the camera in front of me. I can see you are full of emotion. There's tears. Why today, Dave? Why did you come on the show today, knowing? I, I, um, I'm a real big believer in instincts and intuition. And when I looked at who you are and your podcast and your, and your audience and the lives that you're affecting, it was actually, it was, you know, it was just, as you said, it was very serendipitous. It was magical. It's like, that's the one. And, and, and again, I pay really close attention to my instincts and my intuition. And I knew. And it was like, wow, how cool is that going to be? Um, and, and you got it. Obviously, you were the right one. Because look at how you conducted this particular interview. Um, and so to bring all the love and the sweetness of that to, to this moment right now to honor me um, in my 35 years of being sober... I can't thank you enough. Um, You're a very special guy, Dave. I love you, man. Thanks, Jeff. I love you too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't know each other. Let me just make that clear. We don't know each other. This is, we had a a chat for 10 minutes uh, four months ago to see if we were right for the show, a discovery chat. Here we are today. And thank you so much for, for being you and for, 
being honest and truthful, especially today on June the 8th, especially today. It's also a very special day for me, Dave, because tomorrow is my birthday. So, happy, yeah, thank you very much. Happy but, birthday. That's a belly button birthday, we call those. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm going on my 64th lap of the sun. And right. uh, so many, many, many memories. But, wow, incredible. Uh, one more question I want to ask you about fire walking. You've spoken lots about it. There's, there's lots of books written on personal development, self-development, and all of, these, all of these things. But the firewalking thing, is it long-lasting? Yes, absolutely, unquestionably. Um, and the beauty about the firewalk is that once you do it, you can't undo it. Uh, you know, my, my, my daughter was six years old when she firewalked the first time. My son was nine years old. And I've had many discussions with young kids and, um, you know, you get them across that fire and you can't undo that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and we know this in the martial arts world, right? You take a kid and you teach them how to break a board with their bare hands. You know, they never forget that. It's very empowering. And that's, in fact, that's why I include the board break with the firewalk now, because I can, I can combination both of those. And I see those kids, man. And, and it's just, it's such a beautiful thing to see. And I've heard lots of, I've learned, some, I've heard lots of testimonials and I've had lots of discussions with parents who brought their kids to our events and they come back and go, you know, my, my child, you know, five years later is still talking about this. You know, my daughter, uh, three years later is talking about this. Um, my, my son, uh, the year after he did the glass walk, um, he was crying because he couldn't learn how to ride a bike and he was struggling really hard. And I turned to him and I said, you can learn how to ride that bike. You've glass walk. You're going to be able to do this. And, and all of a sudden the kid just came, he got, like, you know, remembered that. And next thing you know, he was riding his bike around the pool. So, yeah, it, it works. It's the anchor. It absolutely works. Awesome. Incredible. Dave, a book. A book. Um, yeah. Are you talking about the one that I'm needing to write? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the accountability. Yeah. Um, it, it, it'll, it's, it's coming. Absolutely. Um, I don't think all the chapters are quite ready yet, um, but I'm, I'm definitely going to do it. There's no question about it. I'm 100% all in on writing that book. Okay. I have a very special mentor for you to help you complete it. Awesome. Thank you. It's me. Absolutely. It's me. Okay. I'm going well, to hold I'm going to hold you to it. All right. And then after we finish the program, we'll have another talk about it because the world needs it, Dave. Yeah. It it does. It's there's there's a lot there. The world, you're right. People need it, you know, especially coming out of COVID, everybody got ripped apart. Yeah. Um and so, you know, the 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 fact that I was in that foyer that next day after the firewalk and I watched all those people come together humanistically, unlike anything I'd ever seen, the fire did that. Mm-hmm. And can the fire do that for any company or people or country or whatever that's all ripped apart because of mask wearing and vaccines and political nonsense and crazy, just bunch of absolute nonsense? Sure. Because it brings us back to being human. And that's what connects us back. And the fire does that. So that's the beauty. And I always say, let the fire do what the fire does. You don't have to question, (laughs) is it going to work? 
Okay, so if someone wants to do firewalking, glass walking, breaking the board, the arrow, all that stuff, just tell me again, Dave, how do we get in touch with you? Yeah, um, firewalkadventures.com. Firewalkadventures, all one word, dot com. Okay, and that code for Secrets of Success podcast is 6828. That's correct. Awesome. That Awesome, Dave. I've loved having you on the show. Sadly, we've Thank come you. to the end. Yes. But there's a question that I ask every guest. Deep and meaning. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Dave Albin, what is the most important thing you have ever learned? That this too shall pass. No matter how good life is, you know, I, I say, you know, life is never as good as it seems. Life is never as bad as it seems. Reality somewhere in the middle. Stay in the truth. Stay in the now. Stay in the moment. And, um, you know, this too shall pass. Things are bad in your life. It'll pass. Um, and, you know, and I come out the other side with that, which is just, you know, stop looking for heroes and be one. And, and, you'll, and you'll bask in, in your own greatness. There's no accidents, none. You're here. The chances of being born were one in 400 trillion. So, you know, come join us. We need you. We, there's so many people that need, you know, a, you know, sometimes it's just a little bit of encouragement, just a little bit, and it'll set them on, on a new path and a new road. So, yeah, let's join it and become part of your community and let's work together. Dave, you've been an amazing guest. Of course, I'm going to ask you because you must come back again. So we've talked about firewalks on a future show. I want to get more in depth about changing people's lives. You've mentioned paradigms and paradigm shifting. So there's loads of lessons you can bring from Tony Robbins, of course. So we're going to get you back on the show. So it would be my pleasure. Yeah. You betcha. Dave Albin, you have been truly amazing. I've loved every second with you, brother. I I love you, man. It's just been yeah, thank amazing. You, thank, thank you, you so Jeff, much man. for being so open and honest. And to you, the listener, thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I hope the show has helped to ignite your passion to be a catalyst for action and giving you the fuels you need to realize your dreams fire walking i mean man i mean we've just got to do it i mean yeah. if yeah you can even contact me i'll put a group together and dave will come over to your place and uh, and we'll get it on but here's an important point if you've enjoyed the show please hit the follow button leave a review but more importantly please share this show with someone else that will make a difference But this show in particular, you've heard about Dave's early life. Alcoholism, drugs, he's put a gun to his head, almost ended it all. So maybe someone would love to listen to this podcast and know there's always some help somewhere. So please forward the show to somebody. It might just help someone in their life that a little bit could help the difference please share on another note 
I'm always searching for great success stories. So if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to nominate a guest, please contact me through our website at jeff-smith.com. You know, I really would love to hear from you. So thank you again to Dave Albin. You've been amazing. That's all from me. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hold up. 